And now I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to uh, the book of Mark as we return now to our series in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, beginning reading at verse 23. Mark 2, 23, and I'm going to read through verse 6 of chapter 3. Mark 2, verse 23, here is God's word. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would uh, speak to us this morning. May you uh, increase our knowledge and our understanding so that we may love you more, that we may rest in your great, amazing grace, and live to your glory. For we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Church history reveals to us that, I think as long as Christ tarries, we are living in the church militant, and in the church militant, uh, often that results in controversies that take place within the body of Jesus Christ, within the church, and sometimes, uh, in Some of us have dealt with this matter. Sometimes that has uh, gotten to the point where denominations actually split because there's such a a difference. There's such a line of demarcation uh, within uh, the uh, body of Christ. And often the issue there comes down to this. Is Jesus Christ the sole king and head of his church, or not? And is his word 
our rule for faith and life or not? It often comes down to that very issue. Is Christ head of his church and therefore has the right to speak to his church, to direct the church, or not? Or do we say, well, okay, Christ is, is in heaven and, and that, but we also want to take our cue from the world and our culture. You see, what is our soul authority? Really, so many times, the uh, church controversies and church splits uh, happen and break because of that point, because of that issue. In the uh, 19th century, there was a church split in, in uh, the Church of Scotland, and uh, the split-off resulted in uh, the Free Church of Scotland, or the, the Church of Scotland Free, uh, but the Free Church of Scotland. And one of the ministers uh, uh, of the Free Church ha- later stood up and said, in the Church of Scotland, there's one Bible and there's, there's one confession, but there are two religions. And I think that illustrates well what we're finding in the Gospel of Mark uh, in the time of Jesus. It's a good description of what's happening. One Bible, one confession, but two religions. Jesus and the Pharisees belonged to the same visible church, confessed the same God, had the same scriptures, but practiced different religions. And what we're looking at today in uh, verse 23 of chapter 2 and following is a uh, a continuation of conflicts that we've seen uh, between Jesus and the spiritual leaders of his day. Who is he to forgive sins? Was the first one. Or, why don't you and your disciples fast like the rest of us? Was another one. Here, we find the matter on Sabbath keeping. And that's what we will be looking at and focusing at today. But understand this, as I've said before, that uh, this conflict that we're seeing are but eruptions of that greater cosmic conflict between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent that began and was set in motion in Genesis chapter 3 when God said to the serpent that uh, the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head and that there would be that conflict between the seed of the woman, and the seed of the serpent. And that is precisely what we're seeing here, these eruptions of of that conflict happening. And one of the things that uh, history teaches us, and we find it in Scripture as well, is that the, the focus of this conflict and the acuteness of this conflict is often found not simply 
in the church versus the world, but often happens from within the church. Within the church. Paul, in fact, warned the Ephesian elders when he met with them when he was on his way to Rome. Uh, he met with them, gave, him, gave them some final instructions, and he told them to beware, to be on their guard, because wolves would arise, and he says, from among you. <laughs> from among you. And what he was saying is, we're not talking about, you know, Roman soldiers <laughs> who might persecute the church. We're talking about professed Christians who are sitting in your very pews who will come up and ravage the sheep as wolves. Wow, you see that here. You look at chapters, chapter 3, what we just read. They watched Jesus, verse 2, to see whether he would, he, he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. They were ready to pounce on Jesus. Ready to pounce. They were looking for a reason to attack. Do you see how Evil, that is. They were, they were not seeing the plank in their own eyes. They were just looking for a speck in somebody else's eyes. That's who they were. That's what the situation was. You see, and we, you might recall in previous messages about this, because this is, again, a re repeated happening with Jesus and the spiritual leaders and the Pharisees particularly, that they had gotten to a place where they, there was no room for grace in their religion. And they had gotten to this point where they deformed Judaism to purely a code of laws, a code of rules. And woe to you if you were to break any of those rules. That's where they were at. And of course, here they're focusing on the fourth commandment, the Sabbath. And we know, we, we read in Deuteronomy chapter 5, didn't we, just a few moments ago, the, the fourth commandment. But keeping the Sabbath day holy is not a Mosaic institution, meaning when, Moses, when God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, Moses gave them to the people. It's a creation ordinance. It's a creation ordinance and is a reflection of God's own rest after his work of creation. God set one day apart, a day, one day a week, for our rest, for our worship, and for his glory. And what we read this morning in Deuteronomy chapter 5 reminds us that the glory that God is to receive is not just before his creative work, but also for his redemptive work. It's not just creation, but it's salvation. In Deuteronomy 5, you might recall, as part of that kind of lengthy fourth commandment portion, 
It says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. That's interesting how that, the connection is made there. Not just that in six days he created the heavens and the earth and the seventh day he rested, but also that God brought you out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, you are to keep the day. And so it's not only uh, uh, pointing us to God's creative work and rest, but his salvific work, his, his redemptive work. The Sabbath is a commemoration of the mighty acts of God in creation as well as in redemption. And what's to be set apart and different from every other day of the week? It was a day of rest. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. So, so that, that's six days of the week. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. It's a day of rest. It's a day of renewal. It's a day of, of, of corporate worship. Pointing us toward the ultimate final rest that we have in Jesus Christ and will have in heaven. That ultimate Sabbath rest. And these spiritual leaders then in Mark 2 and, and 3 believed at this point that Jesus was breaking God's command regarding the Sabbath. That he was ignoring the words of Moses. And that he was desecrating the Sabbath. And you and I have to say that, well, if that's true, that's a terrible thing. If Christ really was ignoring the law of God and desecrating the Sabbath, that's a terrible thing. That is a turning his back on the God of the covenant. Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? That's the issue. Well, how does Jesus respond? He responds in a few ways. First of all, what Jesus does is he points them back to Scripture. Jesus usually and often did that, didn't he? He went back to the Scriptures. Have you not read? And then he speaks about an event that happened and is recorded for us in 1 Samuel chapter 21, where David comes to Ahimelech, the high priest, and asks him for food. And in that passage, Ahimelech says, I have no common bread, but there is the holy bread, the, the bread that's been consecrated. Now, what was Ahimelech saying at that point? Well, that goes back to Leviticus chapter 24, verses 5 through 10, tells us about this, where God gave instruction and said that they were to, to bake 12 loaves of bread. Those loaves were to be weighed and then arranged on a golden table in the tabernacle. And that those 12 loaves signified God's care and provision that he had given to the 12 tribes of Israel. And God said, and only the priests were to be eating or were allowed to eat that bread. Only the priests. Because that bread has been set apart and consecrated. So David comes on this day to Ahimelech 
and asked for bread. And Ahimelech actually gives it to David. And David ate that bread and gave it to his men. By the way, it's interesting, when you read that passage, David actually deceived Ahimelech and told him kind of a story, uh, an untrue story, about why he was there and why he needed the bread and all of that. Yet Ahimelech kindly gave David and his men this bread to eat. Now Jesus is pointing this out in this passage. And Jesus' point is that God did not condemn David for eating that bread and for his men to eat that bread. You see, the, and, and, and what Jesus was pointing out is that the Pharisees' view of God's law was far removed from the spirit of God's law. Matthew 12 is a parallel passage to our Mark passage here. And in Matthew 12, Jesus quotes God saying, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. In regard to this, in regard to the Sabbath day. Now, what is happening there? What's, what's the point? Why, why does Jesus bring that in? I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Because God instituted the sacrifices of the Old Testament. God ordained that his people were to bring sacrifices to him. So what is he saying? I desire mercy and not sacrifices. And that is that apart from recognizing mercy and grace and kindness, the law is cold. In other words, the spirit of the law is generous, good, not restrictive and cold. And the issue that Jesus is pointing out when he brings up David is that the Pharisees had separated God's law from grace. They separated it. So Jesus brings them back to Scripture. He also then corrects their perspective. He says, man was not made for the Sabbath but the Sabbath for man. The Pharisees believed that here's the Sabbath and man better do everything they can in their power to conform to that Sabbath. That man was made for the Sabbath. And Jesus was saying, it's just the opposite. That's not it at all. Man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. Man came first. Man was created on the sixth day. God rested on the seventh day. Man came first before the Sabbath was instituted. And God gave the Sabbath to mankind that already existed to be a blessing. And so the Sabbath and its institution is embedded in grace and in kindness. And these leaders had turned God's good and kind gift 
of the Sabbath day into a drudgery. Into a drudgery. So Jesus, first of all, pointed them to Scripture. Secondly, he corrected their perspective. And thirdly, he declared his lordship of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. What does that mean? Well, since the Sabbath was made for man, then I, Jesus is saying, who am the second Adam, the Son of Man, and who... (laughs) actually gave the Sabbath. I am Lord of the Sabbath. I am Lord of the Sabbath. This, I think, is very well illustrated in chapter 3, those verses that we read, the first six verses, where you have this man in the synagogue with a withered hand, and Jesus asks the Pharisees, who are ready to pounce, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or harm, to save life or to kill? And again, he was pointing to the cold-hearted, legalistic, pharisaic approach to the law. Here's a guy who's hurting. He's got a withered hand. He is in need. Are you going to close your hearts to this to this man, using the Sabbath as your excuse? You see what Jesus is doing? He is pointing out, he is, he is showing that he is Lord of the Sabbath. And he is making clear that the Sabbath is a day to do good. And the Sabbath is a day for life. And when Jesus asked that question, they remained silent. You see, they could have, they could have answered... They could have said, wow, you're right. We've really messed this up. We've got a wrong approach to the Sabbath where we've made it just a strict rule, a day of drudgery, when actually it's a good day. They they could have said that. They could have said, boy, Jesus, you've cut us to the heart. Forgive us. They, They could have said that, but they were silent. They were silent. And Jesus, we read, was angered and and grieved by this. Why was Jesus angered and grieved? He is Lord of the Sabbath. And they had forgotten that God is a God of love and a God of mercy a God of kindness and a God of grace. Jesus was angered and grieved because of their hardened hearts and because these were Jewish leaders. They were, in a sense, the public face of Yahweh, the Father. And their rules were saying that God is a heartless, narrow, hard, legalistic God. And you better keep the rules. And Jesus was grieved at this. Not only because these Pharisees were laying burdens on the people which God's word didn't even 
prescribe, but because they were misrepresenting the God whom they claimed to represent. And we see Jesus as Lord of the Sabbath. Even in verse 6, the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. What a, what a passage. They joined forces with the Herodians to kill Jesus. This was an unholy alliance here. An unholy alliance. The Herodians were supporters of Herod, who had a very immoral, wicked regime, a wicked reign that support, was supported by the, the Roman Gentile powers. But these Pharisees would do anything, and they would join with anyone in order to oppose Jesus, in order to crush the merciful face of God in their midst. Jesus. Well, I'm sure, congregation, that uh, you know, going through this passage and thinking about it, there's still the questions, well, what about us and what about the Sabbath today? Well, God's word, we, we say, is true, and the law of God is still uh, in effect for the people of God. This is why we read it on Sunday mornings, and this is why we read that, shall keep the Sabbath day holy. The Sabbath day is a special day. Is it binding on the conscience? Yes, most certainly it is. The Sabbath, though, was made for man. And as long as man exists, the Sabbath is going to exist. And so my answer is most certainly the fourth command is in effect. But that's a good thing because God gave it for our good. God gave it to us for for our enrichment. And just as we are still not to bear false witness against our neighbor, we're not to kill, we're not to covet, we're not to commit adultery, we're not to steal, all of these things are still in effect, so is the fourth commandment. We are to keep the Sabbath day holy. Recognizing, of course, that at the... At the Resurrection of Jesus Christ, the seventh day, which had till then been the Sabbath, changed to the first day. Where out of our rest in Christ, we go out and labor the rest of the week. But we begin now in rest in Christ. It's a beautiful concept uh, when you think about it. But the point is, the fourth commandment is in effect. It's not an option. It's a command that God gives. But we are to obey that command in the spirit in which it was given. Think about that spirit. Isaiah chapter 58 says this, if you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight, and the Lord's holy day honorable. 
And if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride in triumph in the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That's the, that's the idea. It's a day of delight, the Lord's day is. The Sabbath is. And Jesus didn't abrogate the Sabbath. But just understand that it's not a day of law only. It's a day to do good in which to delight. But let me also just say this as a, a bit of a warning that we be on our guard in this matter. Congregation, this is I'm saying to you and, and to me, that we be on our guard, that we don't drift into a hypercritical spirit that we see here in the Pharisees. That we don't come to that point where we say, well, look how spiritual I am and how unspiritual they are. I think we need to guard against that hypercritical spirit. And to remember that, and this is what Jesus is, is doing and what he is driving home, is that biblical Christianity, the foundation of it, rests on grace, not law. Grace. And the Sabbath is to highlight God's grace. To highlight God's goodness to us. Again, this passage in 1 Samuel 21, Ahimelech gave David bread after David gave him a false report. David deceived him. In other words, we could say, David didn't deserve the bread. Absolutely right. That's the whole point. David didn't deserve the bread. It was out of kindness. It was out of grace that David received the bread. Ahimelech exercised mercy and kindness. You see, the law, apart from Christ, is hard. And what I mean by that is it's It's unbending. It's a hard taskmaster. And every one of us falls short against that wall that will not budge. We all fall short, which is what we confess each and every Sunday morning together. But we ought not to view grace through law. We ought to view the law, we as Christians, we as those who are in Christ Jesus, ought to view law through grace. And recognize that the commands of God, the law of God, is not, they are not weights to hold you down, but actually wings 
to help you fly. That's why God has given us his law. Not as weights to hold you down, but as wings to help you fly. So Jesus was reorienting the deformed view of what true religion is. The Sabbath is a day of rest, rightly so, and we should rest. Recognizing that we spiritually do rest in Christ. In Christ, we have eternal rest. Rest for our souls. He obeyed the law. He kept the law for us and took the penalty of our disobedience, of our breaking the law on himself. And before he went to the cross and took that penalty, he said, do this in remembrance of me. Don't ever forget Don't ever forget that we do rest because of Christ. So let's together come to the table and do this in remembrance of him. To all of you who have confessed your sins and affirmed your faith in Christ, the promise of Jesus is sure. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. For the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. While remaining bread and wine, these sacred elements nevertheless become so united to the reality they signify that we do not doubt but joyfully believe that we receive in this meal nothing less than the crucified body and shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. For all who live in rebellion against God and in unbelief, this holy food and drink will bring you only further condemnation. If you do not yet confess Jesus Christ and seek to live under his gracious reign, We admonish you to abstain. But all who repent and believe are invited to this sacred meal, not because you're worthy in yourself, but because you're clothed in Christ's perfect righteousness. Do not allow the weakness of your faith or your failures in the Christian life to keep you from this table, for it's given to us because of our weakness and because of our failures, in order to increase our faith by feeding us with the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And as the word has promised us God's favor, so also our Heavenly Father has added this confirmation of His unchangeable promise. So come, believing sinners, for the table is ready. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's bow our heads in prayer together. Almighty and everlasting God, who by the blood of your only begotten Son has secured for us a new and living way into the Holy of Holies. Cleanse our minds and our hearts 
by your word and spirit, so that we, your redeemed people, drawing close to you through this holy sacrament, may enjoy fellowship with the Holy Trinity through the body and blood of Christ, our Savior. We know that our ascended Savior does not live in temples made by hands, but is in heaven, where he continues to intercede on our behalf. Through this sacrament, by your own word and spirit, may these common elements now be set apart from ordinary use and consecrated by you, so that just as truly as we eat and drink these elements, by which our bodily life is sustained, so truly we receive into our souls for our spiritual life the true body and true blood of Christ. We receive these gifts by faith, which is the hand and mouth of our souls. Amen. Well, let us now go to the heavenly table and receive the gift of God for our souls. For by the promise of God, this bread and wine are for us, the body and blood of Christ. The bread which we break is a communion of the body of Christ. Christ. 